Father, we give you thanks for today, a time to come together once again and to celebrate you, to hear from you, to submit ourselves to you once again. God, I pray you would encourage and challenge us, convict us, whatever is necessary to make us more into the likeness of Jesus. Father, that's a daily prayer that I have. I know that I constantly need to be challenged by you and what it is that I'm missing, but also to be encouraged that, hey, maybe we're doing some things right. Like you actually give us attaboys and girls. Like it's not always just we're really bad at stuff. But we are really trying, God, and I thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit, that we can actually live this life for you and with you and by you. And so, God, as we dive into your word, I pray that you would help us to be teachable. God, keep my agenda myself. I don't want anything that's not true and your truth and your word to come forth. May it only be about you. God, thank you that you desire to meet with us. Thank you that you desire to speak to us, instruct us. You care for us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Colossians chapter 1, starting verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Stop there for just a second. The first five words I think are beautiful, and here's why. I mean, just that's all it is. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And here's why I think it's, here's why I think it's so incredible. If Paul were here... And he began to give his testimony. Then maybe he would refer back to a couple of things that he wrote to a couple other churches. Why I think it's so incredible, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, is because I think in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 9, he would remind us of this. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. And for those of you not brought up in the church, don't really know much about the scriptures, we have to remember, let me tell you, Paul, before he came to Christ, was one of the greatest persecutors of the church in that time. I mean, he hated the church. He, he applauded the killing of Stephen. And all Stephen did was love Jesus. The first martyr was martyred while Paul stood in ovation holding the coats of those who were throwing stones at Stephen to make sure that he died, all because Stephen followed Jesus. So here's Paul, and here's what he says. I'm the worst. I'm the least of the, I'm the, least of the apostles, and here's why. So he knows his life before Christ. And friends, there's nothing wrong with our life before Jesus. We have to remember that. It's part of the story. It's part of the story that God has put together of who we are and what he's done in our lives. So if anyone ever comes up and just you start talking and you get kind of talking before the Jesus talk and, hey, this is what life was like before, wherever you feel like you're comfortable, start there, yes. But I want to challenge you, don't be ashamed of it. Guys, our sin actually makes the gospel that much more incredible. Where I was before Christ and who I am now actually gives more glory to Jesus and what it is that he's done in my life and in yours. But a lot of times we kind of keep the stuff before Jesus, just don't let anyone know that because I need to present this persona of myself that I'm perfect. And here comes Paul going, I used to persecute the church of God. This is who I was before Jesus. And isn't it amazing when you read Paul's story and he's talking about this is what it was like before, but he always uses a similar phrase, but by the grace of God. See, it wasn't anything that Paul deserved. He didn't merit anything. It was all by God's grace. That while Paul was persecuting the church, God, can you imagine Jesus is just sitting in heaven going, oh my gosh, just a few more days. 
a few more days until I knock you on your can and I, and I introduce myself to you and you surrender to me and my Holy Spirit comes into you and your life's changed. Oh, we're a day closer. Oh, we're a day closer. Friends, this is Paul and this is him being honest. In the 1700s, it's thought that this is when this phrase was first penned or used. And I don't feel like it's used all that often. I don't hear it very often anymore, but I remember hearing it growing up. And it's this phrase, there but for the grace of God go I. Has anyone ever heard that one? There but for the grace of God go I. And the context of it, many, most of it's kind of like, well, I could go into legalism just like these people did there, but for the grace of God go I. I'm not going to go there, but it's only by God's grace. Or I could run towards sin there, but for the grace of God go I. I'm not going there because it's the grace of God. And I wonder how, I know that it's presented a lot, it's preached a lot, but do we live in the reality of the grace of God? That I don't measure up. I can't merit anything before God. I've got things I've got to work on, and I will have to work on things the rest of my life. I am just convinced I will not make it. Like, I will not make it to perfection before I die. But I have a God who wants to walk with me through all of it, who's so patient with me. There but for the grace of God... Go I. It's all his grace. He loves us. Guys, he loves us. He lavishes his grace upon us. Maybe after he said that in 1 Corinthians 15, maybe he would jump to Galatians chapter 1. He said, hey, I wrote this to a bunch of Christians in Galatia. In verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently. Guys, that's a big word. Guys, the scriptures in Acts chapter, I think it's in chapter 8, he would actually go into people's houses. And drag out men and women and arrest them to take them back to Jerusalem because they were followers of Christ. Men and women taking them away just because they love Jesus. This is Paul before. I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And I think that's a huge phrase. He was so passionate about the traditions of his fathers. And I think for us as followers of Jesus, friends, I don't think there's anything wrong with traditions. Like if you were brought up in a denomination, there's traditions. So long as they don't go against the scriptures, wonderful. Enjoy them. Be blessed by them. But when you become more passionate about the traditions rather than the God that those traditions are supposed to point you to, then you become more like this. I became more passionate about the traditions of my father's. Isn't it amazing that in his pre-Jesus, he doesn't really mention the traditions. He doesn't say, I'm passionate about God. He says, I was actually really passionate about the traditions of my fathers. And then here's that phrase again. But when he, something connected to grace. This is who I was, but when he, this is what I was doing, but God interrupted. But when he who had set me apart before I was born. Guys, you know how big of a phrase that is? Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can say the exact same thing. This is who I was. This is what I was doing. But God's plan of salvation did not start for you on the day that you surrendered to Jesus. God's plan for your salvation started when? Before time. Like when you see when Paul's going, when I set apart before I was born, before you even thought of, God's like, I've already got you in my mind. That means before you could do good or bad, God was already, he'd already called you. Paul is very clear in Ephesians chapter 1, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. Guys, that's grace. So why do we think often? I feel like I do. I struggle in this at times. 
God starts with grace and all of a sudden we turn it to merit. And then we're reminded of grace, we go back to merit. Why? Because merit feels like we're actually controlling something, right? If I check the box off that day that I did a good job, then I can come before God and say, okay, but I did a pretty good job. Like, I didn't need your grace as much this day. And we would never say it out loud, but that's really what we're saying. And what I'm saying is this. We should just fall headlong, lay down all over the grace of God and go, I can't do any of this without you. And then here's the thing. I don't get to take any credit for any good that comes out of my life. Just let God get all the credit. There but for the grace of God go I. Doesn't that take the pressure off? It's all him. Now, of course, when I wander and I stray away, I don't go, God didn't give me enough grace. I wander, I sinned. But then there's the joy of repentance when we confess sin. Guys, can you think of the last time you actually confessed to God something wrong? Like, when's the last time in your time of prayer you just confessed to God going, God, I'm so sorry, I, I did this, or I thought this, or I said these words, or I approached this situation not in a manner that's actually worthy of you? Because if we can't think of the last time we had to confess sin, then we might be moving into that place of becoming more passionate about the traditions of our fathers rather than just Jesus because we're trying to portray something that we're not. We become self-righteous. We, we kind of lean, well... Not well, we kind of start to kind of drift toward that self-righteousness thing rather than just staying centered on the grace of God saying, God, you are amazing. I can't do anything without you. He says, but when he, who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased. That's a big word, guys. That word means enjoyed. Like God enjoyed to reveal the son, to Jesus, to Paul. The father enjoyed it. It made him happy. When he was pleased, enjoyed, preferred, chose it as better to reveal Jesus to Paul. Now watch the connection though. In order that. So why is it that Paul was called by God? Why is it that the father chose to reveal the son to Paul? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I might preach him among the Gentiles. Friends, this was not just that he could be saved so that one day he could go to heaven, so that one day Jesus will come back, we'll meet him in the air, we'll spend eternity there, and sometimes don't we just kind of jump into that? Gosh, the world is so jacked up, so I just can't wait for heaven. So I'm just gonna sit here and wait for it to come down, all the while complaining about how things aren't getting any better, but church, that's our job. We go. We go make disciples. But when we stopped doing that, and when we started rely upon, just show them up on a Sunday, let the dude or do that preach up front, let them throw out the word, then they'll get saved, send them off to a crusade, let them hear about Jesus, and the church just sat back. Show me in the scriptures where that became the norm for the church in the book of Acts. I promise you, you will not find it. Our mission is connected to our salvation. They go together. They're not separate. So when Paul says, when it pleased the Father to reveal the Son to me so that I could go preach among all the world, those who aren't 100% Jewish, I'm going after them, the whole planet. That is a person who's going for it. That's a type A driven personality, don't you think? 
It's like you, hey, you 12 apostles, you take Jerusalem and the people of Israel, I'll take the rest. I'm gonna take the whole rest of the planet. You got this little area, I got the rest. Paul connects his mission to God's salvation. They're not separated ever. And yet I feel like today we've become very content with it. Therefore, we become complacent in it. I wrote this in my notes. Our calling to know Christ is directly connected to our calling to go out for Christ. Our calling to know Christ is directly connected to our calling to go out for Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that's the verse. Those are the two verses every Iwana kid's gonna know. We're gonna memorize those things, all followers of Jesus. Like, this is one of the big ones. John three sixteen. that's one. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, boom. You gotta throw 10 on there, though. But 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved. Isn't that amazing? And don't ever let that become less. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves. What's that this referring back to? We say, oh, it's his grace. No, no, no. That word this, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is referring back to faith. The faith that I need in order to be right with God is provided by God. So it's all his grace. Do you see it? Like, I don't muster up faith. It's him providing the faith necessary all by his grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this faith, not of yourselves, is the gift of God. Not by works. Why? So nobody can boast. And that's where we stop. And yet the next word in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. The word workmanship also is translated, we are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus, which is simply us, we've come to know Christ, we've surrendered to his lordship, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Connects it. We all have a mission. Every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is a missionary. No matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, Every follower of Christ is a missionary right where you are. And so I constantly bring it up and I'm constantly going to bring it up and I'm challenged just the same as you are. I've said it before. I do, want to, I do not want to be one of those preachers who's only bold behind a pulpit. I don't want to be a pastor first before a follower of Jesus. But as I said, we pastors, we kind of get this thing going, guys, you got to go get people. You got to go get people. I'm doing it every week from behind here. Guys, this is easy to walk up to somebody and just start a conversation to see where it goes. That's terrifying. Unless you have that spiritual gift of of evangelism, go for it. But for the rest, it gets scary. I don't want to be the kind that's just doing it behind a pulpit. So just the same as I'm asking, hey, who's the one? I'm saying, hey, God, you guys should be asking, God, who's the one you want me to impact? I'm saying the same thing. God, who do you want me to impact today? Who do you want me to impact? And sometimes I'm asking, it'll be in my comfort zone, right? My comfort zone will dictate who that is. And so just as an example, this past Tuesday, I met with a pastor. He's a, uh, Pastor Josh Matlock. He's a pastor straight down the street uh, below the 10 free at a church called, I think it's called Bethany Church. Incredible guy. And so we're having a great time. I've, I've only had lunch with one another time, but I just want to, I want to get to know more pastors in the area. And so we're chatting and as we're leaving, I was at Applebee's down the street. I wa- I'm walking past this table and there's this, um, this Mexican guy st- uh, sitting there, shaved head and like, ah, oh, you are a beautiful man. 
We have, we have that in common. So, but I didn't say it to him. I felt like that's the, uh, the awkward way to actually start the conversation. And he's sitting there with his beer and he's staring at me, but he's staring at me as I walked by. He kind of kept looking. And so I, I said, hey, what's up? And I kept going and I see this next kid, like a young adult age, and he's staring at me. But then I start to think, it's like my fly down or just something on my face. or Like, I don't know why, is I, why they stand. I don't, I don't get it. And so I, I walked outside and I said bye to Josh. I got to the truck and I started thinking, oh, crud, what if they were there at Easter last week? Or what if they're part of our church community? I don't know who they are. I got to go back in. And all of a sudden, the sweat started pouring out of my pits. And I'm like, okay, got to go back in. And it's too much information this morning. So, <laughs> and so I go back in and I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. So I walk up to the first table and I was probably a little bit too close. Just picture him kind of this, this high. And I just kind of got real close. I'm like, hey, do I know you? Probably not the best way to start the conversation. <laughs> so I said, you just look really familiar. Do I, do I know you? He's like, no. I said, like, okay, never mind. I, for, I, I guess I misunderstood. So I walked to the next guy. This one was a little more nerve wracking. I said, hey, do I, do I know you? Do we know each other? You look really familiar. No joke. He stops and goes, it depends. He says, he's holding his beer. He's like, are you a cop? <laughs> so I flash my badge. I'm just joking. And I, said, I said, no, dude, I'm a pastor. So he's sitting there. His, I think it's his wife across the way and his daughter. I think it's the daughter next to him. Um, all of a sudden, wife kind of lights up. So I said, no, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor up the street, and it's good to meet you. Went through the whole thing, and all of a sudden, the wife goes, which church are you part of? It's like the first thing that she said. And all of a sudden, he starts going, hey, you know, I've been starting to have a lot of questions about God. Can you imagine? I, <laughs> I just looked at it and said, oh, that's good. See you later. And then I walked up. So they say, what church are you a part of? I said, I'm part of Ignite City Church. And they say, you have a website. And here, all of a sudden, the, the daughter pulls out her phone. So I, I, I put it, I tell her the, the website address and she's looking it up and he says, I have those questions about God and I, it just kind of came out. I said, well, since I'm a pastor and there's an open seat, could I sit down and ask, answer these questions for you? And I honestly thought that he would sit there and go, yes. And he'd break down and start crying. The spirit of God would move. We'd grow, both grow hair. Like I just thought it was gonna happen. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. I was like, okay. Right, all defeat, and I was like, "Okay, well, hey, I'd love to see you at a Sunday morning service if you'd like to come." And and then I walked out, and I'm telling you, I got in the truck, and I was like, "God, I want to make an impact." And I don't feel like I did, but maybe that was just the time just to be, just to obey. And maybe I was one of three that he would meet that day because God knows how to move His people if we'd be willing to follow. But it's actually walking and like waking up every day and walking with God going, God, who's today? And maybe tomorrow's nobody. Maybe it's just for you. And maybe the next day it's a couple or maybe it's going to be a week until you actually get that kind of interaction with somebody. But, and maybe when you get it, you're like, this is it. Like I've been praying and it doesn't turn out. And you just say this, there but for the grace of God go I. There but for the grace of God go I. I will go. By the grace of God, I will go. And friends, I wish I could say that I'd do it every time. I think it was, I don't know if I told you this one, but when I was speaking at Western, I was going home one day and I'd, I saw a couple homeless guys that were sleeping in the grass on Euclid. 
And the thought came to my mind, pull over. And I didn't. And I justified it. Because I was busy that day. And I got home, and it just weighed on me. And I actually opened up my journal, and I wrote down, I missed an opportunity, didn't I, God? And this thought came to my mind. You're still a work in progress, but yeah, you missed an opportunity. So I don't come up here and say, oh, I got it figured out. And just I'm so bold every time I go. I just, I'm working through it. But it sure sounds a lot more fun to be involved in God's life than to just read other people's perspective on it. I know how I pray that that guy will come some Sunday morning with his family. And how cool that they became so lit up that they had met a pastor. They're like so excited. Rather than, oh, you're a pastor? That'll shut down a conversation in an airplane pretty quick, let me tell you. So what do you do? I'm a pastor. I, I, need, I need to get up and get out. So here's Paul. He's connected his salvation to his calling. And think about Paul once again. Once the persecutor of the church, now persecuted with the church. And I want to encourage those of you who have friends or family members that you sit there and go, they would, they'll never come to Christ. Like they, that person, I'm telling you, they will never come to Jesus. And you've given up hope. Can I remind you? He got Paul. And if he can get Paul, he can get anybody. So when you start losing hope, like, there's no way. Like, I've prayed for years, and there's no budge. Like, they haven't done a thing. Think about it. Paul is on his way to Damascus with letters of authority to arrest and drag away Christians and take them back to Jerusalem. And in one moment, this light surrounds him, knocks him on his tush. And Jesus speaks to him, and in that moment, Everything changed. It did not take a long, drawn-out process. So do not give up hope. If he got Paul, he can get anybody. If we go back to verse 1 again, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. The word apostle means someone who is sent. But here's the crazy part. How often have you heard Paul's in prison? How often did he go to prison? He went to prison all the time. So how is it the one who was sent, all of a sudden God sends him, but that allows him to get into prison? Don't you think the one who is sent should be free to roam? It's like, if you're sent, go. Just keep going, going, going. Because what did Paul want to do? It was in our memory verse this week, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul's like, hey, you know what? God stood with me and he strengthened me. Like, I knew God was with me and God was doing this amazing thing so I could keep going. So that through me, I might preach the message fully. So that what? All the Gentiles would hear. Guys, that is a massive prayer. Or that's a massive statement. Now, isn't it amazing that here's Paul saying, this is what it is that God did so that I could preach to all, so that all the Gentiles would hear. And then he's in prison. And I'm going to be honest. I am so thankful that God, this is going to sound horrible. I'm so thankful that God let him go to prison. Because you know what he did in prison? He wrote some letters. He wrote the letter to the Ephesian church to the church at Philippi, which we know as Philippians, to the church in Colossae, which we are studying for the next many, many weeks, and this small little letter to a guy named Philemon, to a guy named Philemon. 
See, Paul was stuck, and God allowed it to all happen. Why? Because didn't he say, so that I could what? I could proclaim the message fully, so that all the Gentiles would hear of it. Guys, do you realize that because Paul was imprisoned, that Christians, millions and millions of Christians over the last 2,000 years have read about the gospel so that he could fully proclaim the message so that all the Gentiles could hear? Guys, we got to pull back and realize that sovereign God, our sovereign God, when we don't understand the circumstances that we're facing, pull back and realize and remember, be reminded, maybe what it is that you're going through is actually going to benefit someone down the road 400 years from now. Guys, God's economy of time is not based upon my lifespan. And oh, how I pray that my impact for the kingdom can be much longer than my however many years God allows me to have. And if God puts me into something or allows something in my life to happen where I can't move and go and do what it is that I want to do, then I trust God in his timetable and in his purposes and in his plans that he's still going to use me. And what if all of a sudden he uses me in greater ways because I couldn't go where I wanted to go and do what it is that I wanted to do. So it's just like they said last week, this phrase that I used last week or a statement I made, Jesus doesn't do things the way we think that he should because he's doing things that we've never even thought of. Guys, I don't think that Paul sat there and like, oh, I know why I'm writing this because one day, one day, people in the United States of America are read my writings and people down in Africa are read my writings. This is gonna be known as scripture one day. This is gonna be so good. I think that all they did was write a letter. I think he wrote a letter to a bunch of Christians thinking that's all that it would be. And yet Peter, when he wrote it, said, this is scripture. I think it's in 2 Peter where Peter actually, he he connects Paul's writings to the scriptures. Guys, what God can do is absolutely mind-blowing and powerful. Yes, when when Paul said so that I could preach the full message to all the Gentiles, God is still preaching through the words of Paul to all the Gentiles on the planet even today. Back to verse one again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will, the desire, the wish, the purpose, the intent of God, and Timothy, our brother. That word Timothy, his name means honoring God. And it's possible that Timothy was actually in prison with Paul, but most scholars believe that he was not. Most commentators were saying, no, what he was doing is actually going and taking care of Paul, that he would bring Paul his needs. Paul and Timothy had this incredible relationship where Paul was like a mentor to Timothy. That's why in the scriptures you see 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, where Paul is writing to Timothy, this is how you are to be a pastor. This is how you elder. This is how you shepherd God's people. This is what you're supposed to do. So when you look at that, and you look at that relationship that they had, When Paul can't go anywhere, what's Timothy think? I gotta go take care of him. But what does Paul call him? My brother. Friends, I know that it's weird sometimes. If you get a text from me, if I have your number, I'm texting you. If I don't have your number, I'm not. So fix that. Let me have your number and I'll text the crud out of you. But there's a lot of times when I'm texting you, I'll end it with bro or sis. And I know for for some, it feels a little bit weird. Um, And I know it sounds weird, but here's what I want us to remember. We're family. Like this isn't just a bunch of people that came together and we're in this thing called the church which which is an organization because we have this 501c3 status before the government. It's like, no, 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 we're family. In fact, we're even closer than a family because we're known as the body 
of Christ. Like it's not, hey, you are your own person and I'm my, and we're fans. No, God comes along and says, this, the church is the body of Christ. We're so fused together, united together. It's supposed to be family. You know what? That means we're gonna fight like family. We're gonna reconcile like family. We're gonna love like family. We're gonna care about each other like family. We're gonna approach situations like family. We're gonna talk through things we're going to laugh, we're going to cry, we're going to hurt, we're going to provide for one another, we're going to worship together, we're going to guess about stuff, we're going to doubt and be honest about our doubts and work through it toward faith as the body of Christ because we're brother and sisters. I'm convinced, guys, I'm convinced there is greater, there's greater relationship, there's greater intimacy, or it should be this way. In the body of Jesus, we could be tighter because of the bond that the Holy Spirit brings to his body, the church, than blood relatives. Guys, we're gonna be with each other for eternity. And when I get to heaven, I don't, it's not like I sit there and go, well, I have a problem with this person. So in heaven, I get my section and they get their section. And if we can't figure out how to reconcile here and to do it in a stinking loving manner, guys, how are we going to even be an example to the world of what unity and family looks like? When we're still fighting among ourselves about the same stuff they're fighting about. When I saw that, this idea that Paul goes, this is my brother. Gentlemen, there's just this band of brotherhood that happens, right? You know what it happens? When we get into the junk of life with each other, you're honest and real with one another and you fight through things. Sisters, I can't speak in that because I'm not a sister. I don't know if that's obvious, but it's pretty obvious to me. But there's this thing that happens in family where you go through things together, you hang on together, you hurt, you cry, you fix things, you keep moving forward, but we're a family. We're gonna do this together. There but for the grace of God go I. The only way that we can be that, the only way is by the grace of God. In other words, we have to be focused on Jesus. And honestly, forget about our own agendas. If at some point in your relationship with Jesus and your walk with Christ, you've ever had to put a descriptive word in front of Christian, that's your agenda. I don't need to say I'm a evangelical Christian. I'm a conservative Christian. I just want to be a biblical one. I just want to be, there's one type of follower of Jesus. One type. That person follows Jesus. In other words, we follow what it is that he says because he's worth it. And I don't give a flip how you vote. It doesn't matter to me. And it doesn't matter in the ultimate kingdom of God. It's about him and what he's going to do. We stay united on what it is that God has set up for us to do and to be. We are brothers and sisters, and if it freaks you out when I say bro or sis, tell me. And I'll probably keep doing, but at least I know. There you go. Come on, Dolly. You should get up here and preach with me. Back to verse 2. Here we go. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. To the saints, and I've asked the question before, so I don't know if it's going to make this not work, but if you're a saint, 
Would you raise your hands in true belief that you're a saint? Put your hands way up. Not Baptist, charismatic. Get all big old Pentecostal on me. So the rest of you are just like, ah, not me. Because we've heard it takes three miracles. You've got to perform three miracles. Once you perform three miracles, you can be a saint. True? Here's how I know you're a saint. If you're a saint, you're a person who has surrendered your life to Christ. You've received his gift of salvation saying that I want to be a follower of Jesus. You are a disciple of Christ. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you are a saint. The fact that, the fact that Paul writes it down, is this, 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 is, this is a reminder that I get. This is my standing before God. Before God, without performing one miracle. Because it's all relied upon the miracle that Jesus accomplished. I stand before God, saint. I stand before God holy and blameless before a righteous God by his grace. I'm a saint. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a saint. So I wrote this in my notes, and I know it's going to sound a little bit weird because I feel like we still live from this, from this place of, but I'm wretched. Now, outside of Jesus, we are. But in Christ, you're saint. So here's where I think you are. So I think we are. I wrote this for my, I'm a saint who sins, not just a sinner. And it doesn't mean I lessen sin. It breaks my heart. It ticks me off when I do. But I'm a saint before God who sins. I struggle with sin. But my identity is no longer sinner. Paul says, this is who I was before, but now by the grace of God, saint. Before God. You are seen as holy and blameless. Friends, you are seen as holy and blameless as Jesus is because you're in Christ. Guys, that is mind-blowing to me. When do I lose it? Never. I stand before God in Christ and he'll move me along in whatever direction he has to. He will finish the work that he started in me and he will finish the work he started in you. You are in Christ. You are his. The Holy Spirit is in you and he will not leave. And then he says, faithful brothers. And that word brothers is actually brothers and sisters, depending upon the context. And in this context, he's speaking to the men and the women. So it's not like the women are just, sit over there, shut up. And the men over here, tell us, Paul, what we're supposed to do. Women, make us a sandwich. That's not what this is. He's like, Amen, I'm going I'm to open this letter first. Men and women, brothers and sisters, catch this. This is for you. But why faithful? If I'm already a saint before God. Because again, remember it's connected. I'm saved, yes, to do good works. I'm called to be faithful. In fact, in verse 10 of Colossians 1, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Yeah, what I do matters because what I do actually conveys to everyone else whether or not I've surrendered to Jesus. Friends, if we can tell a, fruit, we can tell a tree by its fruit, that's the example that Jesus uses. You can tell a tree by its fruit not by if the tree, even if the tree is just looks healthy, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a farmer. I don't know if you noticed this. There's really no place in my yard to have a farm, anyways. But I, like, I don't know trees, and so Kelly kind of grew up Central Valley. She knows some of the trees. I'm just like, what was that one? Grew up the 99, that that amazing road called the 99. That is one road. And so we're going to the 99, like, so what tree is that? What tree is that? What tree is that? And I'm like, I start to realize, hey, this is what these trees are. But you know, the way you know it's by the fruit. 
And followers of Jesus, it's not just because I, I went to this thing and I had an experience and I said some words. No, but if I cannot, if we cannot see the fruit, the byproduct of a relationship with Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, this idea of generosity, if we can't see that, it never comes out. In fact, it's gotten worse than is it really Jesus that we surrendered to in that moment. We just surrendered to an experience that had nothing to do with Christ. So we're called to be faithful. So if saint is our standing before God, then faithful is our living it out among one another. So before God, I'm saint. And oh, how I pray others will see it because he's worth it. Do you see the difference? Not because I'm supposed to. No. If I do something good, I want to make sure that it all goes back to Jesus so you'll praise my Father in heaven. Isn't that what we got a little word this morning from a little guy up front going, so you'll praise your Father in heaven when Carter preaches that out there? All these good works is so that God will receive praise for it, not just so that I can be a good person. So at the end, that people would know God. Your aim is saint before God. Called to live faithful. And friends, it should feel and be different. It should. We should have this experience with God. And I'm not saying we live upon or we entrust everything on that experience, but we should see a change. It's kind of like this. And I'm not bringing this place up because it's controversial. I don't care. I remember when, I remember when I was a kid, you could just go to Disneyland just to go play. So just, let's just go back to that day. Now, for some, you're going to go, I don't even want to hear the name. Just level out. Just remember the mouse. Just remember the mouse. A talking mouse you got to hang with. This whole Christian life, sometimes I think people think it's this. You pay your 22 grand to get inside. <laughs> per person, children are half off. <laughs> you get in there, a person has standing there, he's got balloons. And yet maybe you get a balloon. But then once you get through, you're supposed to go under the little train bridge thing. Is it still there? Is that how it still is? I don't, I don't go because I don't think it's the happiest place on earth. There's too many people there for me. So you're supposed to go under the bridge, and then you walk down Main Street. I've been there enough where I know you walk down Main Street. In fact, we should have Samantha up here telling us because she loves Disneyland. It's like, boom, this is the place. Chasing Samantha. Bam, that's the place. And then you start, then you smell everything because they're pumping all this addiction stuff into the air. And I'm just joking. So, but then you go on the rides, and then you come out. But can you imagine you, 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 you pay to go in, but you never go past the little bridge part. You just stay there, and you, you look at the, the flowers of the mouse. And then you come home and it's, how was Disneyland? Oh, it was all right. The flowers were pretty and that's about it. Well, did you go on any rides? Like, what are the rides? And I fear that for some of you, all you did was pray the prayer, but you didn't enter into the, you didn't enter into life. You didn't go past the little bridge. You didn't see the rest of it. Like, I just prayed this prayer and nothing's changed. But I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer. Did you surrender to Christ? Are you abiding in him, spending time with him? Getting to know him so you're experiencing this life when Paul says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. I want to experience him, not just know about him. Because when it becomes that, to do things on behalf of him and with him becomes worship and not duty. That's the difference. But everything that we do is connected to everything that we believe. 
Everything that we do is connected to everything that we believe. William Barclay says this. It's a commentary. I just love reading his stuff. He said this. Dedicated Christians cannot write a single sentence without making clear the great beliefs which underlie all their thinking. Like whatever I speak should be connected to my convictions. And so around, and this is the oldest form I think that I've, when I was reading and kind of doing research on this, the oldest form of this creed was 140 AD. And it's known as the Apostles' Creed. And we don't say it much anymore today. And there's even a part in there where all of a sudden I'll say a word like the Holy Catholic Church and people go, (laughs) guys, that word Catholic there means universal. So it's like all churches on the planet. That's what that word means, okay? So the word Catholic means universal, all. But I thought, what if we read it together out loud? Like, oh, this is where some of the traditions like, yes. Like I used to do this growing up. So what if we read it? And then let us think in that we're going to read something that Christians have been reading for almost 2,000 years. That these are our convictions that are based upon the scriptures. And we live according to our convictions, not just merely our experiences. And so it'll, it'll be up on the screen. And so here we go. Here's the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell, On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Doesn't it just kind of get you, I got like goosebumps. I didn't get goosebumps when I read it by myself in the truck to make sure I read slowly. I did, I practiced, I was like, slow down. When I read it with my brothers and sisters and go, these are convictions, and it connects me to brothers and sisters who've gone before me. Followers of Jesus, may we never be ashamed of these stories, not these, these truths. May we never be ashamed of our convictions. It's like, hey, this doesn't fit the narrative of of today. Friends, we change the narrative of today and connect it back to the gospel. And some people are not going to like it. And it doesn't mean we become arrogant. We become loving. And when they persecute us, we love them back. When they don't like us, we love them back. But I have yet to have that happen to me. And yet I know around the world there are those who actually experience it. These are convictions that are based upon the scriptures. I've told you this before, and I really strongly encourage you still. I get a magazine, a little small little, tiny little magazine but from the Voice of the Martyrs. Every month I, I get it, and I make it a, a point. I want to read through this. And just read the stories of my brothers and sisters, whether brothers and sisters of the past or the present. And so I, I, was, reading this, I was reading one of this man, and I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name. But let's just say his name is Boonsain. And he's from Laos. He's 101 year old. And when you read his story, 
that before Christ, he was a witch doctor. And he made a, he had a lucrative business as a witch doctor. And then guess what? He met this woman named Term. And she was a Christ follower. And all of a sudden, he became interested in Christ. Weird how that works. In fact, he even made the confession. I was interested. I don't know. God used how attractive my wife was to bring me to Jesus. He just said it. I'm like, there you go, God. Use whatever you want. Whatever you want. Do it. After he came to Christ, he took over this small little church. I think it had five members. But the Communist Party came in, made it illegal for them to have Bibles. They would actually take the village. Anybody had a Bible, they would take it, place it in the middle of the village, burn them right there for everyone to watch. And so what did he have to do? Guys, it blew my mind. He would take his Bible and wrap it tightly in this cloth and linen, and he would walk into the jungle and hide it. And anytime he wanted to read the word, he would walk out into the jungle, take it out of its binding and read it, put it back in and go home and leave it. And he would do that day after day to spend time with the Lord. I think it was in 1980 when he was arrested because he was a pastor. And for three months, he was put into hard labor. He said, the thing that got me through it was I would pray. Every time I'm working hard, I would pray. And then I would be reminded of the things that God said in his word. The word of God was so important to him that he would actually walk into a jungle and hide it so he could read it. And ours is on a shelf or in a pocket. He's like, I just got to get the word. I just, and I, I, my prayer was this morning. I was like, God, I feel like, I'm not, I feel like I'm not content. That was my honest prayer this morning. God, I feel like I struggle with contentment. And so I reread his story. I, was, I just reread it. I saw it on my desk and started rereading it. And here's where I think the, the, how you learn contentment comes from. One, it's the suffering you go through. Two, it's the word of God. And three, it's prayer. And it all comes together and God teaches us contentment. Friends, do you realize that when I, when, I, well, when I read this, not only did he walk into the jungle so he could read his Bible, when he was released... And he went, to, he went to prison a few times because he was simply a follower of Jesus and a pastor. But their worship gatherings, you know where it happened? It was a 30-minute walk. They would walk into the jungle, find the spot they all agreed upon. They would stand under a tree because it was too hot if you didn't. No instruments. Instead, our instruments were our hands. They would just clap. They would pray and he would preach. And then they would decide where we meet next week. Because we're not going to bring it up when we go back. Next week, they go back out. 30-minute walk. If it's a bigger celebration, they go much further. 30-minute walk through the jungle. And while they, he even said this. And the insects, they would bite. I'm listening to air conditioning. We've got it pretty good. I'm reading a story I'm like, you have to hide in a jungle to worship. He's 101 years old. They've been able to build a, build a church building that the government didn't like, but they said, okay. There are 500 members in that church community now. He doesn't preach all that often anymore. He's still alive. But most times when they gather together, he still gets up and he leads the prayer time. And at 101, he visits the sick. And to me, friends, that's what the church is supposed to look like. 
not which one puts on the most events or the most stuff. It's are we doing the things that Jesus said to go do? Visit the poor, visit the sick, visit those who are in prison. And you know what he said at the end? He goes, I'm getting impatient because I really want to be in heaven. But until then, I'm going to keep doing what Jesus has called me to do. And I said, God, I always want to be like Jesus, but I wouldn't mind to have a little bit of what he's got. And the fact that Paul would write to a bunch of Christians in Colossae, guys, in 5 BC, Colossae was a major city. It was on a major trade route, and so, of course, people knew about Colossae. But about the time that Paul's writing this letter, it's this small little rural town. Why? Because the trade route that was before was no longer. It was replaced by a different trade route, and Colossae didn't make the cut. And so it's this forgotten little town, little village. And isn't it amazing that here's Paul when he hears about these Christians in Colossae and what's happening in there. And we'll get more into the details of why he wrote it. But isn't it amazing that here's Paul in prison going, I have to make sure that I reach out to them and not just the big places. I wrote this in my notes. I say, may we never write people off because of where they come from or what they've done. Paul didn't forget about the little people. In fact, we've been reading a letter from him for the last 2,000 years that he wrote to a bunch of quote-unquote little people. Friends, may we be the same. And he closes with verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Guys, when you read verses 1 and 2, this is like Paul, this is how we sign a letter. And how they wrote a letter, they started with the signature in the beginning. Paul. We start with the end. We put that at the end. This is his introduction. But when he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father, I wrote this in my notes. We can't bless others with, I'm sorry, I just brutalized that one. We can't bless others with grace and peace if we're not actually extending grace and peace. Friends, if you ever use this phrase, and I think we should do it more often, we don't bless anyone unless they sneeze. And then all of a sudden, it used to be God bless you, then it became kazuntite. And I don't even know what the heck, what the, does anybody know what that means? Maybe it's, maybe it's German or something. I have no clue. And it means God bless you. I have no clue. I don't know what it means. That's the only time God bless you. But what if we actually gave blessings to people? But we blessed them with what? Grace and peace. But friends, I can't bless anyone with grace and peace if I'm not being gracious and peaceful. We have to be gracious and peaceful if we're going to extend the blessings of grace and peace from God. Our everyday lives, walking with Jesus, should look so different. And it should actually cause people that don't know Christ to be so interested in Jesus. They may not like some of our beliefs and stances on moral things and our doctrines. They may think we're out of our minds. But may they never question that they've been loved well by a Christ follower. I think at some point, Christians, we need to stop making sure that the world knows what we're against and make sure that we're proclaiming to the world what we're for. Remember, humanity is not our target. It's not our target of, like, they're not the enemy. Humanity is the prize. They are who we go after. 
that they might hear about Jesus. We have Jesus, and if we, guys, if we seriously, if we believe in the reality of heaven and hell, that those who do not know Christ, and, and stop, we need to stop justifying, well, they might have done something then, like when they were two, they might have. Guys, we need to make sure people know Jesus. Like if we really believe that those who don't know Christ are gonna be separated from God for eternity in hell, if we really believe that, then should we ever be silent? Should it not compel us? Notice I said us, not you, us. I'm in it with you. As the worship team comes back up. There, but for the grace of God, go I. By God's grace, we've been called by God to know God and to make him known. Like, let that sink in. We've been called by God. This is all by his grace. We've been called by God to know God and to make him known. By God's grace, we've been changed by the grace of God so that we are not who we once were while still becoming who we are designed to become. Praise God, for we are not who we once were. But praise God, he's not done with us yet. And by God's grace, we are sent out with the same mission and message. What's the mission and message? The grace of God brings about peace with God. The message is the gospel. Friends, that's what changes everything. It always has. It always will. If we look to change everything, we want to make all these changes and we're not connecting the gospel to it, we're not impacting eternity. We're, in, we're impacting the moment. We need to bring the gospel into it. So one last time. May we bring this phrase up often. There, but for the grace of God, go I. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Can we pray together? Let me pray. God, there... But for the grace of God, go I. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you. Thank you for the process that you walk with us through. And thank you for the mission you call us to. I don't think it's an invitation. It's a call. It's a command. God, thank you. And so I pray that this week, everything that's done is not just for you as a duty, but, but done in honor of you out of worship. And God, fill our souls with the burden that those who do not know Jesus will be separated from him for eternity. God, break our hearts so that we would, we would, we would show and give grace and peace. God, use us. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Love you more than you know.